there. Our, our World War II veterans are in their 90s and up, and there are fewer and fewer of them uh, still around. My dad was uh, just a couple months less shy of his 18th birthday when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. So that kind of helps me understand, all right, if you were 18 years old when the war started, you'd be this old now, you know. So in your 90s, just saw something on the TV news. They were honoring a veteran from uh, here in North Dakota who was 100 years old and had been uh, in the Navy and uh, in the invasion of Iwo Jima. So our World War II vets are almost gone. Our Korean vets are quite old. Vietnam veterans are kind of about my age and older. So you'd be in that that group. You'd have been old. You didn't go to Vietnam, though, did you? No. No. The... Speaking about going overseas, um, I mentioned Josh showing up Thursday night. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yep. So Josh is going to be here on Thursday night to tell about his time in Israel. I'm really looking forward to, to hearing that. And I've seen some of his pictures on, on Facebook. I really enjoyed that. But, so Thursday night, 7.30, or we start earlier? 7.30? Okay, I, that sounds probably like a good idea. Do it instead of Wednesday night? Okay. All right. Now, the war in Afghanistan was the longest war the United States ever had. 20 years. So, some of the irony of this, and this, there are actual cases of this, a man who became, uh, who, who fathered a son on, on the year the war started, that son could grow to maturity enlist in the military and serve with his father in Afghanistan in the same war. Never before in history of the United States has such a thing happened. So it's an odd thing. And now the thing that started me thinking about military and soldiers was not just that this was Veterans Day here recently passed, but in our text today in 2 Timothy chapter 2, of the three um, symbols or examples of of the of the Christian life that that uh, Paul suggests to Timothy, the first one is this of, is of a soldier. Okay. So as we as we open up into to Second uh, Timothy. <clears throat> begins with grace, mercy, and peace. And while on the one hand you might think this is a typical greeting of Paul, this letter is a very personal one to Timothy, because Paul is he's saying this is, this is going to be the end for me, I can see it coming. And he talks about that in, in later on in this letter. You know, he's, about, he's about to die. He's not going to be released this time. And so, 
Think about it. Grace, mercy, and peace, the big ones. <laughs> By the grace of God, we have received the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, and it is not a result of, of, of any works of, of, or religious acts. Mercy of God, the other side, we do not receive the, the judgment, the just penalty we all deserved. And, uh, and as we spent some time in the earlier meeting in Isaiah 53, we see that the Lord Jesus suffering for us and becoming our guilt offering. Grace and mercy, and now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation to the one who is in Christ. So he says to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace from God. In verse 3, Paul speaks, uh, he makes an allusion to his own heritage. Uh, he's, he's serving with a clear conscience, uh, literally, from my forefathers. So, so Paul had, had believing parents. They were very observant Jews, whether or not they ever came also to believe in Christ as, as he did. Uh, but, you know, he had things all turned around when he began. <laughs> but uh, he speaks of, a, of his heritage, but then he refers to Timothy's heritage. A heritage is important. It really is. So he's, he, in verse 5, he speaks of Timothy's grandmother and his mother. Now, in Acts, we know it says that his mother was a Jew, but dismisses his father by merely saying his father was a Greek. So the faith of his maternal line is emphasized, but there's not a word about his paternal line, his father. It may seem then that both his father and grandfather were not, were not believers. A heritage is, is important. There's a, an expression about those who are born to a family that is affluent or wealthy, that they're born on third base and they think they hit a triple. But, you know, some of us were born on third base, meaning we know, we know of parents and grandparents who, who are believers. Now, if you have that, you stand on their shoulders. So, Titus, it's like you're standing on your dad's shoulders, and he's standing on your grandpa's shoulders, and they're all wishing and hoping for you, Titus, that you will go higher and farther than they have in the things of the Lord. That's great to have that. Then there are others who are starting out as the first generation of believers. <coughs> we all got to start somewhere. But early on in my uh, career as a, as a parent, uh, and by the way, you're a, you're a dad forever, but parenting is a temporary occupation. But early on in my parenting, I expressed the goal that I, my goal as a parent was to produce a godly offspring to the third and fourth generation. So I didn't want to just get my kids to adulthood with a with a profession of faith, but I wanted to see much more of that. Then I wanted to see them express that faith in their personal life and in their marriage and family as adults. And then I wanted to see my grandkids say, but I'm working on that. I'm really working towards that. That's important to me. 
and I know it is to uh, some of you as well. Now, Al, you have a good chance of seeing great-grandchildren. <laughs> a very good chance. The Lord's in control of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just looking at ages of, of our grandchildren. Now, my oldest grandson is 15. It's going to be a while. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, then those those grand grandkids, great grandkids are born. We want to see them trust in the Lord when they, uh, you know, grow up and able to understand the gospel. Oh, that's important, isn't it? So Timothy's heritage is important, and and the reason I think Paul is speaking this way is like this: this is my last chance, Timothy, to express my heart to you, and. These, these things are important. And what he's getting to to Timothy is, I want you to be strong for what's coming. And so you need to, to get your feet solidly underneath you. You need to be ready to stand. And Timothy, you've got much to stand on. Thank, thankful for your heritage, but you stand on the faith that you've come to know the Word of God. He says in verses 8 to 10, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And in verse 15, he gives some examples of those who who were. So the province of Asia is a place where where Paul had much ministry and influence. He brought the gospel to many of these people himself, and they were saved. But when he is arrested now, and this is towards the end of, of Nero's reign. In the earlier days, he, he did a lot better, but he's, he's, uh, things are not so, so good for him at this point. And uh, politically, they're not. And he has made Christianity an illegal religion. The most well-known person among the Christians is this guy named Paul. So who gets arrested? And he's charged with being a criminal. And he's brought to Rome, and he's under arrest, and he's, in, he's not under a house arrest. Where he can live somewhat comfortably. People coming and going. Now he's in a jail cell. And these brothers from the churches in Asia, they could have sent representatives to Rome to testify at his trial and say, he is not teaching sedition and rebellion, but this is what he's teaching. Here is a copy of his letters that he has written. He's not, he's not guilty. They didn't do that. Instead, they said, Paul who? Never heard of him. I hardly know him. <laughs> but they distanced themselves from him for fear that if we, if we were to go there and testify for him and speak for him, yeah, they might throw us in jail too. And so he says in verse 15, all those in Asia turned away from me. And he mentions two brothers. We don't know these guys, but Timothy did. And it would be notable to Timothy, even Phagellus and Hermogenes deserted me. Now, we're not unfamiliar with this type of thing. We know a guy named Simon Peter, who when Jesus was, was on trial before the Jewish authorities, in, in the face of, of a lowly servant girl 
said, no, I don't even know Jesus. I don't have anything to do with him. So fear, <laughs> fear for your own safety can make you do things. Uh, so he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. In verse 12, he's, he's talking about suffering for the gospel. And perhaps one of the reasons he has to emphasize this to Timothy is that suffering for the gospel or suffering for what's right is contrary to worldly wisdom and philosophy. Even, even among Judaism of the day, in the day uh, that this is happening, the thought was, if, if bad things are happening to you, it's because you're a bad person. There's something wrong with you. But if good things are coming to you, then you must be blessed by God. And we see that represented in a number of times in the gospel. So here, I, here you are, suffering for the gospel of Christ. Paul, the great apostle, about to be executed. Are we sure we're on the right side here? <laughs> but he says, don't you be ashamed of me or the gospel. And then he gives us the example in verse 16 of a brother who was not like uh, Phagellus and Hermogenes. He went to Rome and he diligently searched for Paul until he could find him and get him to see him. And Paul says, oh, may the Lord bless him and his household for this. the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Remember in 1 Timothy Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus and he is probably still there. Timothy is when he receives this. So when adversity comes to us, how do you What's your first reaction to that? What's your, what's your first reaction? Why is this happening to me? <laughs> or, <laughs> what did I do to deserve this? Um, and let's, let's get serious. What if the greatest adversity, you got a diagnosis of cancer, it's bad. You don't think you're going to make it. Why is this happening to me? What if someone you love very much dies? Do we, at that point, doubt the goodness of God? Sometimes people do. Perhaps the most famous example of history is the wife of Job when suffering the incredible grief of the loss of all of her family was just bitter at heart. So, 
his message to Timothy, Timothy, here I am, I'm suffering, and it's not looking like it's going to end well. I'm imprisoned, I'm accused of being a criminal, and even today, in, in 2022, in Minot, North Dakota, if somebody's arrested and charged with a crime, we think, well, he must have been guilty of something, right? Well, all the more so in that day. So, Paul, the great apostle, is a criminal. Timothy, you are going to suffer also for the gospel. So what does he want? Let's begin with chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. <coughs> so he wants Timothy to be strong for what is about to come. Not just what's going to happen to Paul himself, but what's going to be coming even on to Timothy. So be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, these words have been precious to believers throughout the ages when great trouble and affliction has come on them. The things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men. So he's reminding him, Timothy, just remember all the things that I taught you. The, the, the embodiment of the faith. And then find others who are faithful and pour this into them. Now, he, he says later on in, in the epistle, in uh, chapter 4, verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The time will come when people just don't want to hear this anymore. But as long as you can, find ears that will hear. Faithful men and put this into them so that they in turn can teach others. And then he gives three uh, symbols or examples to, to bring across his point. And each one of these have a, has a little different uh, uh, application to it. He starts off with the soldier. No soldier in active service, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. If you're a soldier, you can't be running your farm out here, doing a, a business or everything. Uh, and I realize some in the, in the military can get sometimes some part-time work on the side when they're off duty. I realize that. But uh, when you're in, you're in. <laughs> and you never know 
when your day is going to turn into an 18-hour day or 24 hours. Um, you don't know when you're going to be called up to, uh, to even more uh, difficult service. The military life is best for a single person. I wouldn't hesitate to say that. It's difficult being married in the military. Uh, depending on what your, your duty is, it could be more difficult. We're, we're, we're aware of the uh, difficulty that Corey Smith had at the time he was in, here with a large family and is looking at the very probability of being deployed for six months to Iraq or something. And being away from family at such a time. Uh, oh, he'd been in somewhere around 10 years, maybe a little over. And a lot of people would say, hang in there for another 10 and you, you get your pension. Yeah, who's that? <laughs> but those next years would be the, the formative years as his children are growing up and and the idea of being gone for protracted periods of time during that and leaving Holly to all of he didn't want to do that. So when his enlistment was up, he left. So a soldier is, is going to have to be able to focus himself on his military duties um, and maybe full-time in the event of a war or something. Okay? he's not able to do other things. But he must obey the orders of his commanders and carry out his duties. So he says, suffer hardship. So what's the first hardship that you uh, get in the military? Boot camp. <laughs> and depending on which branch of the service you're in, that can be more difficult than others. And then you go on to your training school, and then you're on to your, your, your regular duty. If then you are called up to service in a in time of war, well, that hardship may be great, even to the loss of limb or life. Now, I'm a veteran of the Navy, but I have never been in combat. I, I, I salute our veterans who particularly these recent veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq and so forth. They've seen some of these men, and even women, have seen some real hardship and suffering. Uh, who in the world hasn't heard of post-traumatic stress disorder in soldiers? You know, the things that they endured there have just left a mark on their mind and their psyche. Suffer hardship. Some of the hardship is being away from home and family for prolonged periods of time. Maybe even far away from your own home country. Uh, you know, some missionaries do that too. <laughs> don't, don't overlook that. Sometimes it can be very lonely out there. So he says, Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
Now, are you willing to suffer hardship as a Christian? I think so. I hope so. Uh, put it another way, what would it take to make you quit? What would it take to make you give up? Well, I don't like a question like that. Almost always, hardship and suffering comes on us unannounced. You don't get advance notice. It just comes. And then, whatever you have, that is how you're going to meet the challenge. So, are you willing to suffer hardship? Come to the second example. He says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't win the prize unless he competes by the rules. So he has an image here, and this would have been certainly familiar in Greek culture. The Greeks started the Olympics. And so there's athletic contests. And just like today in the Olympics, we, we've heard of, of, of athletes or even whole teams being disqualified for cheating. Okay? you got to compete according to the rules. Or you don't win the prize. You don't get the gold medal if you don't play by the rules. Well, what is he getting at here? I think, you know, he's saying to Timothy, uh, an athlete, what, how does he begin? He begins with training and conditioning. And that can be very rigorous and hard. And you got to force yourself to the limit and beyond. We think, look at some of our Olympic athletes, and we are amazed at what they're able to do. But how, how many years, hours, months of training did it take to get there? But then, in the contest, they have to compete according to the rules. So, Timothy, stick with the program. Stick with the plan. The things which I taught you, and these were not done in secret, he says, but in the presence of many witnesses, you hang on to those and you pass them on. Then he goes to the example of the, of the hard-working farmer. Now, we're familiar with that. It says he ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. He ought to be the first in line. Now, a farmer raises his crops, whatever they might be, uh, certainly for his own use, but also to sell. Right? But he gets first, first dibs on the produce that he makes. But what, what it is about a farmer that is instructive to the Christian life? Uh, I think farming is an occupation that I can't imagine how you you do it without knowing the Lord. <laughs> because, I mean, the stress 
of everything that you got to deal with, I mean, you'd, you'd crack up. Wouldn't you? It would seem so. So, so right now, in the, in the last couple of months or so, farmers have been planning and preparing for, for next season. So in the business that I'm in, there at Wilbur Ellis, we, we've been sending out a lot of fertilizer for fall spreading of fertilizer. Anhydrous ammonia, liquid nitrogen, is so expensive, more and more farmers are moving away from it. All fertilizer is expensive, but going with the granular. So there's fall applications. Right up until the snow covered the ground, they were putting it out there. Uh, incidentally, uh, anhydrous ammonia, liquid nitrogen, which is a fertilizer, is, is part of the uh, oil refining process. So the, so the war against fossil fuels by the Green uh, Revolution is making these type of things expensive. And so already you, you can read reports of predictions of famine about to come within the next 10 years in Africa because the poorest people of the world are going to be hurt the most by the Green Revolution. Uh, and, and Africa is going to be the, the first to, to suffer massive famines like we've never seen before. And then the poor countries of Asia. But uh, that's, that's what's coming, and it's all self-inflicted by uh, this new green religion, climate change. But the farmer, he has to plant his crop, and then he has to wait. Does everything he can to help it, to make it grow, and then he's got to wait. In, in James uh, chapter 5, we, verse 7 and 8, we read these words, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, is that not more true today than ever before? The coming of the Lord is near. And so, he says to Timothy, <laughs> now the farmer ought to be first in line, but he's got to wait. He has to wait. Wait in faith. So, be prepared to suffer hardship. Stick with the word of God. you got to compete by the rules. <laughs> Stay in there and wait. Wait for it. And then he kind of wraps up this paragraph because there's a lot in here to contemplate and it's one thing to think about it in an abstract way but when you're really looking at it it's already starting it becomes a lot more real and so he says to Timothy in verse 7 think about this you're processing this and there's all its implications think about it the Lord will give you understanding consider what I say he said
So first off, he tells Timothy, be strong. And now he's going to call him to remember. In verses 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. For it's a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So there's a progression here on, on either way. If we have believed in the Lord and if we understand, uh, as symbolized by our, our, our water baptism, that we were crucified with Christ and buried and we rose again with him, then we will also live with him. And if we endure in hardship and suffering, we will also reign with him. So our, our reward in heaven will be relative to our endurance right now. What will it take to make you give up? Well, let it be nothing. I won't ever give up. Because you endure with him, you will reign with him. But he says, to, first of all, to remember Christ Jesus risen from the dead. So the resurrection of Christ, uh, which... You know, the gospel, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15 says that he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, those three things. But the resurrection is often just the go-to thing because that proves the uh, truth of what the other accomplished. <laughs> and it must happen altogether. We cannot have a Savior who is not risen, but we do. So remember the Lord Jesus risen from the dead. And, and Timothy, of course, would understand that just as endemic to my faith and at the most elementary level is the knowledge that Jesus suffered. So shall I refuse to? A descendant of David. Why is he putting that in there? Well, certainly Timothy has has uh, Jewish roots through his mother and grandmother. He was taught the Old Testament scriptures, but this Lord Jesus, whom we uh, celebrated in the earlier meeting, and I'm thinking especially of that passage we were in in Isaiah 53. This was prophesied from ages past. He would do this. And here he is, a descendant of David. 
and he says, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. Earlier in the chapter, he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. I know that they accuse me of terrible things. Don't be ashamed of me that I'm in prison here. Because I'm suffering hardship for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in, uh, in verse 9, it starts with a for which, and in verse 10, for this reason. These are important statements. He says, I'm, for which I suffer hardship. And then, in verse 10, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. So, Paul has the, the understanding that he is suffering for the gospel of Christ, but he also sees, I'm doing this so that the gospel can go to all of you. you everywhere he's been. For the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Those who deny him, who refuse the gospel, will be denied by him. faithless does not affect the Lord's faithfulness. He cannot deny himself. So we have something in that statement there that is steadfast and sure and solid. In the, in the rest of the chapter, and we're, we're only going to introduce this a little bit and have to be dealt with later, he talks about an unashamed workman. So in the first part of the chapter, we have a strong servant of Christ. And in the rest of the chapter, the unashamed workman. And he's, he's capitalizing on that uh, exhortation to Timothy earlier in, in uh, his letter here, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And conduct yourself that you won't have to be ashamed about the work that you did. Now, this is one thing that uh, parents always want to instill in their children, that in whatever task, chore, or job you have to do, you do it well so that when someone else comes along and looks at it, you won't have to be ashamed of how, how you did. You did a good job. You want that. And you, and you want the, the commendation. Good job. You know. That's important. And so, as uh, servants of Christ, we don't want to be ashamed 
of what we do. So now he's going to tell Timothy what to tell to others. He says, Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. So as we handle the word in our, in our teaching and uh, in our, even in our devotional life, we want to be sure we do it accurately. That's important and reverently. And uh, not, as he says in the previous verse, to get into arguments and debates that uh, don't, don't produce anything good. It's not enough to be right. How you conduct yourself is also very important. You can win an argument and lose a soul. You could win a debate and lose a friend. Uh, it's not about keeping score. But be sure you rightly handle the word of truth. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness. Uh, mentions a couple of men there. This thing type of thing spreads. Men who have gone astray from the truth. And among one of the things that he was dealing with there, they're saying that the resurrection has already taken place. Meaning... If you didn't get it, you're not included. And he says they're upsetting the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now that's one thing I'm really thankful for. The Lord knows those who are his. Um... Sometimes we don't, or we can be confused or doubt, doubtful. But thankfully, the Lord always knows those who are His. And if we belong to Him, we need to prove that in how we live. What is about to come? in our own world. Is there going to be a time of suffering that we will endure as, as Christians? Perhaps. Uh, in, in years previous, I have sometimes shared tidbits of you of, of my experience at my present employer. Uh, it had proven to be the most difficult workplace I've ever been anywhere. And I've worked for all, in all kinds of jobs from the military to this one. And I had never met a more profane group of men. But over time, uh, things have changed. The person who was my 
greatest persecutor in the early days and who openly boasted that he hated Christians is now my boss. <laughs> and he's changed and we get along. Uh, I've gained acceptance, if not respect, from my, from my co-workers. But it was a difficult workplace. Are you in a difficult place? your job, your school? Are you tempted to kind of just keep your head down, keep a low profile? Don't, don't be too open about your Christian faith. Are you tempted to do that? Okay, don't do that. Be strong. Be ready to suffer ridicule. Rejection. Suffer hardship as a soldier. And don't give up. Keep on competing according to the rules and wait for the harvest to come. That's about Father, we know that right now there are fellow believers in various places of the world that are suffering imprisonment, torture, and even death because they have trusted in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we know you see every one of them. You know where they are. You know what they're going through. We pray you would uphold them and may your spirit give them courage and confidence in their difficult hours. May other believers around them not forsake them, but support them. Lord, we pray you'd make us strong in the faith, that we would not fold up when adversity blows against us, that we'd be willing to suffer hardship. Thank you, God, for the Lord Jesus who suffered for us and for the promise that we shall live with him. So we give thanks in his name. Amen.